Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello, welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. Uh, this podcast is a camera company. I'm Chris Demuth, a PM of Rangeley, and with me as always is my co-host, fellow Rangeley PM, Andrew Walker. Today we're going to start by talking about the SNAP IPO, and then we'll move on to brokers separating trading from research. By the way, to clarify, back then, SNAP started their S1 with this weirdly abrupt assertion that it is a camera company. I uh, I, I was wondering when this podcast became a camera company. Here I, here I was thinking we were a podcast, and it turned out we were a camera, camera company, company all along. It's an implausible claim, uh, but... But it's also apparently the ticket to a $20 billion IPO, uh, so we're a camera company too. Uh, apparently, you can just kind of say these things. Um, Andrew, I cannot wait to find out at the disclosure at the end, are you long Snapchat? No, no. Uh, we, we don't have the type of pull that would allow us to get long Snapchat uh, pre-IPO. I have a rarely used Snapchat user ID, but uh, that's about it. Are you a millennial? What, what qualifies as a millennial? I, I don't know the exact cutoff. I know uh, I am not. I will uh, turn 29 this year, which I think puts me just a little bit above a millennial to be. No, I think I'm a millennial. I'm okay. going millennial. I claim millennial okay. status. Well, so you can be the authority here. And you do have a Snapchat. Account. I do have a Snapchat. Yep. Okay. Um, and... Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I, I've been reading about it a ton this week. Um, it does seem like it's kind of grown really well. Um, I think one of the big questions looking at this as an IPO is, is this kind of a Twitter-type uh, IPO uh, on the uh, bad side? Is it a Facebook on the good side? But for something that I'd barely heard about other than as an investor looking at this, um, it seems like they do have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. They've been able to grow it. They've been able to do a, a lot of things. Yeah, so... Look, it's something I have thought a lot about because all of the the big tech companies really interest me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I would put what is it? The Fang, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Google, and then Twitter and Snapchat as kind of the big six in terms of uh, tech companies. In some way, shape, or form, they're touching just about every person. Uh, you know, I think when you look at Snapchat, your hope if you're buying tomorrow, I think it's going to IPO at seventeen dollars per share. $24 billion valuation. Your hope if you're buying it tomorrow is this is akin to buying Facebook or yeah. Google on their IPO day where, you know, they're, they may have, they might have had a little bit of volatility, but if you had bought on their IPO day and held to today, you were a much smarter man than you and I are, Chris, because they've done fantastically, right? right? It turns out these businesses that the incremental cost to adding one person or servicing another minute of user's time is zero mm-hmm. and uh, it, it scales up incredibly quickly. Uh, great profits once you hit scale. It really demands a lot of user attention, lots of network effects. So that's your hope if you're uh, that's your hope if you're an investor tomorrow. Your downside is a Twitter or a MySpace. You know something that it, it commands a lot of attention, but it turns out Facebook and Google own all, and uh, these guys can't really compete. And I've got some pros and cons on both sides of the argument. I'm happy to go through them. Let's or, hear. Yeah. So look. If you're pro Snapchat, your two things are, A, everyone who I've heard who is kind of a tech person in the know who comes across Evan Spiegel, the uh, the CEO, founder of Snapchat, says he is the best product guy since Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of inside tech people think the, the rankings of the best tech CEOs right now might be number one, Jeff Bezos, number two, Evan Spiegel. Mm-hmm. He, he just understands how to create products that really capture the user imagination. Uh, if you look at how Snaps evolved, they've been, they were really the first company that was designed for mobile. 
and they've really been at the forefront of all mobile things. So if you're pros, those are them. And look, those are great pros to have, right? Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. they've really captured a lot of millennial attention. You know, millennials are really Snapchatting nonstop. The con is Facebook is out there, right? And Facebook, if you go on Instagram and WhatsApp recently, Facebook is blatantly ripping off, uh, blatantly ripping off a Snapchat. And some people might say, "Oh, Facebook is blatantly ripping off Snapchat." Same on them. But you know what? Facebook has 500 million users. Uh, that's Instagram. Sorry, Instagram has 500 million users, and there are stats. Every time Instagram rips off a Snapchat feature, Snapchat's user growth stalls out for a little bit. So. There's nothing wrong with that, and uh, there's nothing wrong with what Facebook's doing, ripping off Snapchat, but if you're Snapchat, you don't like that, and it's a real weakness to your business model because that network that you need to create, Facebook already has it, and if they're just stealing all your features, why is someone going to switch over to Snapchat? And the uh, if you look at the demographics, uh, the uh, younger uh, demographics are fickle. I mean, the idea that they can change, it seems less likely that they'll change to one of the kind of older established ones necessarily, but uh, but they don't necessarily stick with one of these uh, for long. One of the concerns we're going to have here is we're going to need more vowels. If there's going to be a clever word to add to, uh, I was just thinking the Fang plus Twitter and Snapchat. I just don't have anything uh, That's a great a good point. Word. So I guess you could use Apple and Amazon maybe. I don't know. But we yeah. need an A or an E to come up with some cool words otherwise. Fangsta. Fangsta actually Fangsta. sounds kind of cool. Fangsta is a little, little consonant heavy. Um, uh, earlier this week, there were some concerns from investors that were quibbling uh, about – this lack of votes. Um, I, I think we talked about it a little in the past. I had mentioned, I, I thought it was at least an Just give a refreshment on what it sure. is in case. Uh, the, um, quickly, the uh, shares that are being issued, instead of having a separate share class so that the founder insiders can keep control, they actually simply give you explicitly no vote whatsoever yep. with the with the shares. Uh, and there were investors that were kind of pushing back, saying either the exchanges listing these shouldn't accept them, uh, people complaining that, well, they have to own these now if it is an index, yet they won't have a vote, not that they tend to use them that aggressively. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is a little bit as if I, I sold you a house, but then mentioned, oh, I'm not going to leave and I'm not going to pay rent. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who are selling this are still going to, in many ways, still own what they're selling. Uh, they will still control it uh, and uh, have a huge equity stake. Uh, this isn't really going down that much because they're actually getting more equity. So, uh, so what, what do you think? What do you think about this? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a trade-off to all things. And it, look, if Snapchat could come out with a typical corporate structure where mm-hmm. you say, "Hey, every every share gets an equal vote," and if they did that, they would get a little bit of a higher valuation, most likely. But Look, what you see here is people are complaining like crazy. Snapchat's about to IPO above their kind of whisper price. It is a very high valuation on traditional value metrics, which might not apply to something that can scale as quickly as a social network, but it is a very high valuation. The only reason you're hearing complaints is because people are going to buy this thing, right? They're they're going out, they're holding their noses, they're going to buy it. You would not hear complaints if no one was going to buy it because then Snapchat would have to drop the feature. It would have to kind of give a better corporate governance structure. So it's kind of funny. You only hear the complaints when people are actually going to go go out and do that. Thing. I think it's a great point. And uh, the way I uh, think about it is 
This is a dollar above the range. It's 10 times oversubscribed. That is the market demand. The market just answered whether these uh, these terms are onerous. I have this very different view with it on an IPO being explicitly what you're buying than I would if somehow you tried to disenfranchise shareholders later or treat them badly relative to what they should expect in the S1. The S1 is the deal. And my view of fairness is proximity to the deal on paper that you thought you were getting at the beginning. So it's fair, you completely know, fair, in fact. And then I wanted to throw something out to you. you. You sent me a bunch of articles to prep for this podcast with. And one of the articles, uh, you know, I, I think Snapchat is very clearly thinking of Facebook's IPO mm-hmm. when they IPO here. And if, if you remember Facebook's IPO, people called it the failed Facebook IPO because the stock kind of, I think it ran from like 35 to 45. And then it, it dropped for a good long time to 15. And now it's at like 220 or something crazy. But they're clearly thinking of the Facebook IPO and they're trying to control every aspect of it. They were demanding investors who bought in hold the stock for a year, which is longer mm-hmm. than their their shares are locked up for. Insiders are locked up, i.e. they can't sell their shares for 150 days after the IPO. They want people to s- commit for at least a year, maybe more. And uh, But they're also talking about, hey, we don't want too big of a pop on this thing. So it's going to price at 17. They don't want it popping to 34. And they're trying to do all this sort of stuff to control that. And I, I just kind of want to turn it over to you and ask, what do you think of all these little uh, machinations they're taking to control the IPO process? Stability in many ways is nice, but if you want long-term ultimate market stability, the way you offer it is transparency and freedom. If you have any kind of regime where there are controls, like say you have currency in a country that puts in currency controls, drop everything you're doing and get the currency out. I think that the best way to, I think markets should never have you know stops and breaks in uh, intraday in uh, brokerages. I think it's a huge mistake to even think about even if what you ultimately want is stability to even think about your share price the best solution to a share price that uh, is uh, too high is a high price and too low is a low price and uh, market people can work it out that's such a good point like one of the articles said something that said Goldman Sachs is on the jobs and they've got all these different levers that they can pull to generate demand if the stock price starts slipping I was thinking well if the stock price starts slipping that's because IPO investors paid Snap too much for their money Snap should be happy they got more money Uh, other investors should you know their new investors coming in who think the price is below there like that's just the market like it's weird to me to think how your company trades in the first 48 hours yeah. of how it trades in the market determines the future of the company in the long run it doesn't matter you know so i, I, take, I just thought it was strange. take the at least in the medium term take the other side of artificial supply and demand uh, going back to the facebook day one my recollection was that the bankers working on the ipo actually were in the market that day intraday and and it was a very strange stock chart kind of holding kind of just yep. the, the flat line uh that they that they kind of artificially maintained uh, before it dropped a lot and then before it gained even more. Um, so is that a good place to end? Uh, let me ask you one thing. Sure. Let, let's just, uh, I'll bet you a coffee, whoever can guess the closing price tomorrow of Snapchat stock. I haven't put much thought behind it, but I'll take first guess. So I'm throwing out there if that works for you. Go ahead. I'm going to go uh, 21, uh, no, $20.40, which is about a 20% prop, pop from the $17 price. 2050. Oh, come on. 
Chris Price is right in me. All right, all right. That was my mistake for throwing it out there and not laying the groundwork of the rules. I will probably be owing you a coffee. Uh, go ahead. We will see. Um, uh, so, there, there, although there's a 10% off deal across the street for uh, gift cards, so it'll only cost you uh, a, a <laughs> discount to what it otherwise would have been. Uh, one of us, at least. Um, great. No, I think that that's Snapchat. Can we go on to brokers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, the second topic today is brokers. A couple things caught my eye. Uh, two recent developments. Uh, one is the potential, really, for some regulatory reasons uh, – that um, that brokerages will begin start charging directly for a research in certain circumstances, as opposed to have it commingled mm-hmm. with the uh, trading commission. And then, secondly, a big price war, especially with the kind of retail discount brokers. Um, but in a sense, they're related. I wanted to bring these up because they're really isolating the basic execution function with that price converging on zero. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to brokers, especially with equity research? Yeah, let me just go to the equity research. So currently, the way it works for most institutional investors, which might be different to some of the retail investors, which most investors are who listen to this podcast, I would say, is institutional investors, you know, you pay per trade, right? Mm-hmm. So you pay two cents per share for every trade you do through a brokerage. And in exchange, that brokerage gives you basically unlimited access to all of their research for free, right? So what's happening is I believe it's Europe who's saying, hey, you have to charge people for that research. You can't give it away for free any longer. Is that That's kind of what mm-hmm. we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I, think it's, I think it's very interesting. You know, right now we kind of expect when we talk to banks, we expect them to provide their research analysts to us for free. I think it's interesting. Like, why why should that be for why should that be free? You know, with Facebook, Snapchat, and everything, it's giving to you for free because kind of if you're getting something for free, you are the product, and they're giving you all the advertisers and everything for free. Uh, I think it'll be interesting on that end. Like, do banks just cut out research? Does more boutique research pop out? And on the other side, does it lead to you know if equity research is getting priced individually, does that mean? banks are going to have to cut their trading costs because right now trading costs cover both trading and equity research. If it's only covering trading, is there going to be an institutional price war? I think a lot of this comes from the historical fact uh, that trading is a cost that money managers can pass on to their investors. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at what his, you know, when things like that are passed on to a third party, That's you a great know this point. from healthcare and elsewhere, what are third party payers like? expensive and lots of payola. So when I kind of especially started in this industry, I'd say trading, first of all, was not just execution, but it was also all your research. It was also expected to be travel and entertainment. And it was also expected to be soft dollars that you could just turn up or down at any point. How soft are soft dollars? Clearly all of your Bloomberg and everything else. But I've had, you know, it, it, it becomes very, very, the, the expectation it's is it's very informal. Um, so I think that, that is unwinding. I think mostly for the good, when things become more transparent, that doesn't make them more expensive. In fact, a lot of times it makes them less expensive. But some of these things are really hard to value in a way when if they're making a meaningful difference on millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars of a given position, trying to value the research for that, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that is valued higher or lower. Um, My little, I should ask that as a question, but I think one of the things that I would put out there is that kind of amorphous top-down macro banter is probably going to be valued a lot less. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. Uh, And then, you know, turning to the retail side, I think it's interesting the uh, 
So I believe Fidelity cut their price for individual stock execution to four ninety five. Yeah, and you know I just think if you think over time, uh, I believe in the fifties and sixties it cost like fifty dollars per trade, mm-hmm. and you know in the nineties and two thousands, e trade and those online brokerages started coming on and automating it, and it went to twenty to ten. And you know if you look at the, it's just another example of the trend towards. Lower costs. Uh, I think this is very heavily tied towards the trend towards indexing, where people, mm-hmm. especially individual investors, realize, hey, we can't beat the market. Why are we paying all these additional fees and everything when we can just throw things into an index fund? And Fidelity needs to continue to bring their costs down to compete with that and to compete with the brutal efficiency from uh, E-Trade and other online brokers. To have a broker in the early 20th century was to be a wealthy person. It'd be kind of like referring to having your chauffeur or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not a kind of thing a normal person would have access to, a normal average person would have access to. And I think Charles Schwab was the one who really was the first one to democratize that. But of course, like airline, uh, everything else, access, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm as pro as can be for the democratization, but it does mean that on average, it's a lot less uh, frilly. Uh, and it could probably even go down from here. I mean, I think that that price is going to keep just grinding away towards zero. You know, the thing is like, at some point, there is cost to trading though. And if it grinds towards zero, you do have to ask yourself like, why is this company re- willing to give me $0 trades? And a lot of times it can be because the company is selling all of your execution data orders yes. to kind of high frequency algorithmic trading funds and they're using it you don't you don't see the actual cost right it might say zero dollar trade but you might be buying 100 shares at $16.50 instead of $16.48 and that's actually two cents per share that's only two dollars there but if it was a thousand it was 20 if it was 10,000 it's 200 so the cost might be kind of hidden there if that makes sense absolutely um yeah no really uh, so th- those were the things I wanted to talk about the brokers. Is there anything else? Um, uh, I want to say we're endlessly happy with our brokers, so we're not going to we're not going to cut cut our trading. No, costs Chris, to zero. let's keep them on uh, their toes, brokers. <laughs> we we are watching you. We're not giving you ten thousand dollars per phone call, and if you don't start coming up with better ideas, we're out. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to end. I don't know why I'm in a nice mood. I'm gonna end with something nice, which is just that that there's always uh, money to be made for people who are differentiated and kind of on the margin and some of the quirkier things, both in terms of research it's worth paying for and in terms of mm-hmm. brokers. So I'll leave it at that. Um, I th- is that a nice way to end? I think that's a great way to end. Okay. That was a great point. Um, and uh, all the time we have for today before we hit disclosure, a reminder, if you like the podcast, please follow us and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Audioboom. Uh, if our brokers heard me say the nice things about how they're worth it, they should be giving us good marks in those locations and no disclosure for me. If they heard the bad things I uh, I said about them, they should ignore those and give us the good marks for your things. Uh, no disclosures for me. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.